Lord, you just, uh, today you're going to give us one of the most profound lessons in Scripture pertaining to how we're to deal with those people inside the church and outside the church, Lord. And it's it might not be the way we expect uh, uh, or the way we would uh, think you would want us to deal with others, Lord. It's, it's, it's kind of a uh, different way, and so we want you to show us just just that lesson today, Lord, that, that uh, uh, one of the best things we can do to minister to others is just to be there for them. Lord, just like you're there for us, no matter what goes, happens in our life, Lord, we, we always know that you're there. Uh, Lord, you're there uh, when, when we're, we're doing the right thing and when we're doing the wrong thing. We can count on you, Lord. Your, your mercies are new every day, and we just thank you for that. Father, I just ask today that you bless our study and that you bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask you to do that in Christ's name. Amen. In Peter Sellers' last movie, uh, Being There, I don't know if you remember that movie. He won an Oscar in 1979. Uh, he played a character named Chance. And he was this guy who was a, uh, he had worked for a wealthy man in D.C. all his life as, a land, as his personal landscaper. And uh, when the man died, he didn't have anything to do. I mean, he, all he did all day long was, was, was do the gardening for this wealthy man, and he got his education by watching TV. Now, that's not a very good way to get your education. But he was a simple-minded man, a very quiet man. And uh, when he lost his job, when this wealthy man died, he didn't know what to do, so he just started wandering around in the streets of Washington, D.C., and this wealthy tycoon was driving on the streets, and he hit him. And so he picked him up, and he had a knot on the back of his head, and he felt sorry for him. And so he brought him home and, and nurtured him back to health. But once, when he started nurturing him back to health, he, he noticed how quiet and, and he seemed to be. And, and he, mis, he, mis, he, he made the mistake of, of seeing his simplicity and his quietness as profundity. And, and so soon before you know it, this wealthy man had introduced him to the president of the United States and Sellers' character was giving the president advice and he was hobnobbing with the wealthiest people in Washington. And, and simply because he was quiet and he was there for everybody. Now, I'm certainly not recommending that movie. I mean, I'm going to go home and check it out and go watch it because I think in some ways that movie is blasphemes the the Bible and blasphemes the gospel and uh, one way in the end of the movie Chance is walking on water and the message there if you can you know just by his name Chance and he's walking on water the message is that that people walk above everybody else not by the sovereignty of God or not by the gifts of God but just by pure luck and so that's kind of the message of the movie so I don't recommend it but I do recommend the one of the main lessons of that movie and that is that one of the best ways to, to help people, one of the best ways to, 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 to do good to people is simply to be there, to be there and to listen. And, and that's one of the lessons that Paul is going to give us today in our uh, lesson in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, and we'll be in chapter number 4. And verse number 
1. As Paul's going to give this charge to the Thessalonians to follow his example. And he's, it's going to be a short sermon because look at the very first word. Chapter 4, verse 1, what does he say? Finally. Whenever a preacher says finally, you better look out. He's only just begun. And that's the case here with Paul too. In fact, some of the most important material that we get in the book of 1 Thessalonians comes to us at the latter part of chapter 4. So he's only really just begun to give us that important material that we're going to look at. Uh, uh, and actually, we've got, we got two chapters left. And so we've got a lot of really important material before we finish. But, but he starts it off with finally. And I think maybe he thought he might end it then, but he didn't. He says, finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So what's, what's he say? First of all, what I want to tell you and is this, that you should abound more and more in your walk with God. Now, how did the Thessalonians know how to walk with God? I mean, they, they didn't have a uh, Bible like we have with 66 books that will tell you just how you're supposed to walk with God. They didn't have that. So how did they know how to walk with God? Well, they had, <coughs> they had the Old Testament scriptures, but they also had, maybe more importantly, they had the example of Paul and his followers. And, and so pa Paul says, you know, you should abound more and more, not less and less, more and more in your holy walk with God. Now, there's something bad wrong with a Christian who walks less and less in a manner pleasing to God. We should be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 6, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ Jesus? We received him through faith by grace. And so we, we're, to, and we're to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So our walk shouldn't be less and less holy. It should be more and more holy. <coughs> and that's the message that he gives them here. In verse number two, he says, For you know that what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that sounds kind of strange to me, coming from Paul. Because Paul was a guy, remember, in Romans chapter <coughs> 10, verse 4, that said Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for those who believe. And so Paul was never trying to put anybody under law, but yet it says right here, <coughs> for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the problem with this is that this word commandments in verse number 2 is really, I think, a bad translation here. The, the actual Greek word is para-angelos. Now, what's angelos? What do we get from that? What word? Angel. Para simply means a paramedic, a paratrooper. means to come alongside somebody. So Paul says, we came alongside you with a message, with a strong message. I think maybe the ASV gets the translation right here. He says for... Let me, let me read you the SV. For you know what charge we gave you through Jesus Christ to follow our moral example. 
And, and how, do we, how, how did he want them to follow that example? By disciplining their flesh through the power of Jesus Christ so that they could live godly lives instead of ungodly lives. And so he gives the specifics of that charge now beginning in verse number three. He says in verse number three, he says, for this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? For every single person in this room, for every single believer, this is the will of God. And what is it? Your sanctification. <coughs> Your sanctification. Now, we've gone over that word several times. So I'm not going to get into a Greek lesson on that word. But what's the word sanctification mean? Do you remember? It, it's translated several ways. It means to be set apart. It means to be holy. It means to be a saint. So how are you made a saint? You're made a saint by being made holy. That's how you become saints. We're given holiness, and also we choose to live holy lives. And what Paul is exhorting them to do is to, live, to be more and more holy in their walk with God. He goes on, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And part of that sanctification is <coughs> that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification. In other words, you should walk through this earth like saints of God. When people see us, they should see the saints of God. Now, the Pope this week, I don't know if you've noticed on the news, he canonized two ladies who 100 years ago saw a vision of uh, the Virgin Mary. Now, I don't know whether or not they saw that vision or not, but I can tell you this right now. Seeing a vision doesn't make you a saint. You can see all the visions in the world and that does not make you a saint. We are made saints, how? By the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then we walk in a saintly manner by choosing to be holy. That's how you become the saints of God. And, and Paul says, for this is the will of God that you walk as saints, your sanctification, that's the will of God. That each one of you should know how to possess your own vessel. Like saints in sanctification, in holiness, being set apart to God. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You know what? We should look a heck of a lot, a heck of a lot different from the pagans of this world. You know, I, I was on vacation last week and in an environment where, where I was doing my best to try not to blend in, but I'm afraid I blended in too much, you know, and, and that's, that's not good. I mean, it, it's, I mean, we should be so different that people see that. It shouldn't be some kind of supernatural glow that they see, but it should be, we should, they should be able to see uh, something different about us, the supernatural power of God working through us. They should see that. And if they don't see that in, in us, then that's, that's on us. That's our, our fault because holiness is a choice. Now you're positionally made holy, 100% perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. But then you make a choice every day to put on the new man and to live a holy life or to live like the devil or to live like the world and to blend right into the world. And that's really sad when we blend into the world. If people can't see a difference in us, not by what we tell them, 
And we're going to see that here a little bit later. But how we live our lives, then, that's, then, then that needs to change. We need to change that in our lives. Now, the next part of Paul's charge is that we deal honestly with one another concerning this matter of holiness. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, anybody who tells you as a Christian you don't need to live a holy life, anybody who tells you that is not only endangering themselves, they're endangering you. It is a dangerous thing to disregard the call to holiness. God wants us all to be holy. God wants me to be holy, and he wants you to be holy. Why? Because he wants us to be like him. He wants us to be a witness to this world, and we can't be a witness to this world when we're living unholy lives. <coughs> Excuse me just a second. Thank you, Dave. So anyway, go back to, to verse number six. Let me read it again. He says that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, this matter of this call to holiness. Because the Lord, now watch this, is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. In other words, what Paul's saying there, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, if you live without any regard for holiness, God is going to take, well, I, I, I got to be careful with what words I use here. God is, we, we like to use the word discipline. You know, I really believe God punishes his children. I hate to say that, but I believe he punishes his children. He's going to punish you. Because God has called you to holiness, and one way or the other, he's going to make you holy if you're a child of God. And so when people teach you that there's no need, necessity for holiness, you can do anything in the world just like anybody out there in the world. You don't have to look any different from anybody in the world. They're getting you into trouble. They're getting themselves into trouble by teaching a false doctrine, and they're getting you into trouble too. Look, a lot of the troubles we have in this world, uh, we bring on ourselves as Christians. A lot of trouble we have. We give the devil way too much credit for our troubles. You know, every time we have a trouble, every time we're sick, every time we have, you know, we, look, we have a financial disaster, every time something happens, oh, the devil did it to me. The devil did it to me. Maybe God did it to you. I mean, people don't want to hear that, but maybe God did it to you. You know, we've been studying the book of Jonah on Wednesday night, and we finished up that study, but but remember Jonah. Jonah was a rebellious prophet who, who wanted to do things his way, not God's way. And God punished Jonah. I mean, when you look at the, the narrative of that book, it says God prepared a storm that, that got Jonah into a lot of trouble. God prepared a fish that swallowed Jonah and, and buried him in the belly of, his, of, his, of the well for three days and three nights. Then God prepared, was nice to Jonah and he prepared him a vine. But then he prepared him a worm to eat the vine. And, and I, not one place in there did I hear the devil prepared any of those things. Who prepared those things? God prepared those things. So when we have trouble that, come, that comes into our life, I, certainly there's times where, where God's trying to build our character. And certain, you know, certainly there's times where, where, where you know, things just happen. But, but most of the time when God is is taking us through some difficulty, it's because we need correction. 
And he loves us enough to correct us. And he wants us to live holy lives. And if we're going to choose not to live holy lives, he's going to make us choose to live holy lives. For God did not call us, look at verse number seven, to uncleanness, but to holiness. God called us and saved us to be holy, not unholy. And let me tell you this. The callings and elections of God are certain. They're for sure. So if God called me to be holy, I've got news for you. I'm going to be holy, whether I like it or not. It's going to happen the hard way or it's going to happen the easy way. It's going to happen the painless way or it's going to happen the painful way. That's our choice. And the sooner we submit to this calling to holiness, the less painful the process of sanctification will be. It's as simple as that. Therefore, verse number eight, he who rejects this call to holiness does not reject man. Look, man could care less about holiness. Men don't, men, men don't like holiness. We, we, we like debauchery. We like rebellion. We like evil. We don't like holiness. So you don't reject men, the way of men, by rejecting this call to holiness, but you reject God who has given us his Holy Spirit. Think about that. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's only logical. Why is the Spirit called Holy Spirit? Wonder why. Think about that for a minute. I want to see if you can figure that out. Because he's holy. He's holy. And if the Holy Spirit lives in me, now, if he does not live in me, then I'm none of Christ. Is Christ in you your hope of glory? Christ is the, is, the, is the Spirit of God. And if you have Christ in you, your hope of glory, then you have the Spirit, not the Spirit of debauchery, not the Spirit of this world, the Holy Spirit. And so we should want to be holy. Are we always going to be holy? No, we're not always going to be holy. None of us are always going to be holy. And I thank God that when, when I do fall, the blood of Christ cleanses me from, from all unrighteousness. I thank God, as someone prayed earlier, that, that uh, God's mercies are new every single morning. And God forgives me. And when I fall, I get right back up and count on the grace and mercy of God. But there's still this call to holiness. And if God's called us to holiness, that calling is for sure. And you're going to be holy. Whether you like it or not, one day you're going to be holy because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And at the very least, you should have a desire to be holy. Now, the next part of Paul's charge is, is a charge that we're, we're very familiar with because it's the whole, what John told us in the whole book of 1 John. And that's a call to love one another. Paul says, hey, you want to live like us. And he's, his charge is... Is, is to the Thessalonians is, I want you to live like us. I want you to live, live unto God in a walk pleasing to God. And one of the ways you're pleasing to God is that you love one another. So look at verse number nine. He says, but concerning brotherly love, you, Greek students, which love is that? Philo love. Phileo, son of Philo, where did I get that? Phileo love. I'm certainly not a Greek student. Phileo love, from which we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. 
But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. Look, everybody loves the people that love them. That's what brotherly love is. We love our brothers and our sisters for the most part, our, our fleshly brothers and sisters. We kind of love each other in this church as long as you're loving me. We have no problem with that. And as long as I'm loving you, I mean, we have, we have no problem with that. That's, that, that's, that's human nature. And, and change the four there to but. But for you, you're, but, but you yourselves are taught by God to agape one another. In other words, sure, you, you, you know, I don't need to teach you about phileo love, but I do need to teach you about agape love. Because, because you know, phileo love isn't hard, but agape love is. Now, we covered this, like I said, in detail in 1 John, but, but just to kind of let me summarize, remember what we, what we studied there. Christ in you again, your hope of glory. If Christ is in you, who is Christ? He's God. Who is God? He is love. What kind of love? Supernatural love, agape love. So if Christ is in you, agape love is in you. And so you're going to just, you're going to have agape love. And, 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 you know, I know sometimes I have agape love in me that Christ is in me, but I really don't want to do that what Christ wants me to do. So, so Paul's saying right here, you know, I want you to follow our example. Look, we've given our life to you guys. We've given our lives to the Lord. We've given our lives in love to one another, and we want you to do that too. That's a choice you make because you have Christ in you. You have the power there to love supernaturally. But you've got to exercise that power. You've got to make, make that choice to love. And, 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 and you've got to expand your territory a little bit. Look at verse number 10. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. In other words, hey, you're doing well there where you live. But we urge you, brethren, to increase more and more, to expand your territory a little bit. Uh, you have the spirit of love. You're taught to love. You've shown your love. But don't stop there. Love more and more. We should always be increasing in our love. We should always be making the choice to love others more. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. You know what? It's, it's real easy to get weary in trying to love unloving people. It's real easy to get weary and say, I want to give up. That's why Paul makes it in Galatians chapter 6. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in loving others. It's going to happen if you let it happen. I can tell you right now, you're going to grow weary. Because people are not going to do you right. They're not going to always thank you. They're not always going to love you back. And so, so it's real easy to grow weary. And it's real easy to love less and less instead of more and more. And so what Paul says, keep fanning those flames of love. And how do you fan those flames of love? By loving others. Just exercising love. That you increase more and more in your kindness to others. Then he finishes up. His charge in uh, verses 11 and 12. He says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Watch this now. To mind your own business. To work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those 
who are outside so that you lack nothing. Come on, let me read that again. That you also may aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. I mean, Paul, what in the world are you saying here? I mean, I thought we were supposed to I thought we were supposed to come at people hard with the gospel. We were supposed to badger them with the gospel. I thought we were supposed to take this Bible and shove it in their face. I thought we were supposed to do everything we can to push them into salvation. And, and, and Paul, what you're saying here, we're to lead a quiet life. We're to mind our own business. We're not to be busybodies. I thought we were supposed to be busybodies. I thought we were supposed to stick our... Uh, noses in everybody's business and tell them what they're doing wrong and what we're doing right. Is that what we're supposed to do? No. We're to lead quiet lives. You know what he's saying right here? The very best way that we can serve others and be a witness to others is simply by being there. Simply by being there. And make a little money along the ways and work hard so you can provide for your family and maybe you can help somebody that's in need. You know, today we honor mothers for Mother's Day and I don't think there's a better description of a good mother than, than what you read right here in this text. I mean, a mother who is quiet who minds their own business. Now, I got to tell you, when little kids, when kids are little, you, you, don't, you can't mind your own business. You got to take care of them. But as they grow up, the, the, the greatest mothers, the greatest mothers that I've ever observed are those mothers who are quiet. They mind their own business. They work with their hands, whether it be at home or in a job or both. And, and they... And they walk properly in the Lord in a way that their children can observe that. And they don't have to say anything. I mean, if your faith is real, people are going to see your faith. Now, at some point, you might have to say something, Mom, why are you like this? Let me explain to you why I'm like this. Because the Lord lives in me. The Lord lives in me and he gives me peace and he gives me joy. And that's where I have this. That's why I'm quiet like this. That's why I'm meek like this. That's why I'm humble like this. You know, it goes for father. What goes for mothers goes for fathers too. I was waiting in Atlanta for a connection to Lafayette Tuesday night. I mean, Thursday night. And right before we got on the plane, I got a text from my sister, and she said my dad had a cardiac arrest. And I said, well, I'm getting on a plane, and I, I said, I'll have to put it on airplane mode, but, but you know, text me, you know, and, and uh, let me know what's going on, and I'll, I'll call you when I land in Lafayette. And I landed in Lafayette, and... I got the word that my dad had passed. And 
I read the text to Brenda, and Brenda said, you don't seem very upset. I said, you know, I'm, I'm not upset. My dad loves the Lord. My dad's gone on to be with the Lord. He lived 95 good years. I mean, a couple of years ago, you try to walk with my dad, he'd run you in the ground. I mean, he was so, so active and had such health all of his life and all his mental faculties. And he was so blessed, and he loves the Lord. And part of me, I just felt this joy that my dad had gone on to be with the Lord. But another part of me, I felt this great sadness. I felt this great sadness because this was my dad right here, a quiet man. A quiet man who minded his own business, who worked hard to prepare, to, to, to provide for his family, to, to, to make sure we had everything we needed when we were growing up. He walked in a way with integrity and a way that glorified the Lord in such a way that even in my worst days, I, I, he was a light to me my very worst days when I was living in, for the devil, living for this world. And, and when I was living like that, my dad never badgered me with the gospel. He never, he never wanted to dig into my business. He never wanted to condemn me or, or correct me. He knew I was a grown man. But when that day came, when I realized I needed the Lord, it was my dad's upbringing that showed me the way. Now, I'm doing this funeral Thursday, so I, gotta, I said I'm not going to be emotional. But, but I love my dad. And the thing I love the most about my dad, these last five years, I've grown closer to my, my dad than I've ever been in my life. I mean, my dad, I don't want to bore you with all this, but my dad my dad. He listened to my sermons every day. He knew where the good stuff was. He didn't, every morning, and we would talk all the time, and he'd tell me about this sermon, that sermon, what he learned, this sermon. And he really was an encourager. And he was always there for me. Always there for me. He's not there for me anymore. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And that's the sad part. But you know what? I haven't been left alone. I haven't been left alone at all. You know what I love the most about the Lord? He's always there. He's always there. He's there when we've been good. He's there when we've been bad. He's there when we're living holy. He's there when we are living unholy. He's always there. You know, in the last 28 years that I've been saved, I've gone to my prayer closet almost every day and not once in 28 years have I heard the audible voice of God. Not one time. 
on a few occasions, I've sensed his presence there. And that's really exciting when that happens. But most of the time, it doesn't happen. But you know, every single time I've gone in that room to pray to the Lord, I know he's there. I know he's there. When I'm on the highway and I'm driving along by myself and I pray to the Lord, I know he's there. He's always there. I mean, no matter where I'm at, when, when I'm in trouble, and I mean the trouble seems like it's about to, 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 to swallow me and drown me in, in sorrows and I'm never, it's never going to end, he's always there. He's always there. When something wonderful is happening in my life and I'm praising him and I'm thanking him, he's always there. You know, the Lord makes a habit out of being there for his children. But if you don't want him there, you don't want him in your life, he won't be there. Because he's, just as Paul says we're to be, the Lord's meek and quiet. And he'll mind his own business. If you, want him, if you don't want him in your business, he won't be in your business. Because he made every single one of us as free moral agents. We got a choice. You got a choice to, to have a relationship with the Lord who is there, the great I am who's always there, who will never leave you or forsake you. Or you, you can go doing your own thing. And believers sometimes do that too. We try to handle our own problems when he's there. We, we'd rather handle ourselves, but he's there. Chief Vernon McGee said this about God's meekness in dealing with mankind. Listen to what he says. He says, God has moved heaven and hell and come by the way of the cross to knock at your heart's door. But my friend, he will not come any further than, than that until the door is open. And it must be open from the inside. He will never push it in. He will never come in uninvited. Do you want God to be there for you? To guide you? and empower you through this tough life we live, then you got to open the door. You got to open the door, and when you open the door, you'll find him there for you too. Because being there is what God does. He's always there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. You are so good to us. You're so good to us. No matter what issues we face in life, Lord, no matter what confidence we have in ourselves, Lord, no matter how much we have rejected you, Lord, whenever we turn and open that door, Lord, you're there. Lord, help us as believers not to put up walls between 
ourselves in your love, Lord, like a lot of us do. Walls of worldliness, walls of unholiness, or walls that keep us from, from experiencing your very presence in our lives. Father, I just ask today that if there's anyone here who has never opened that door, that today be the day they finally say, I've had enough of this life without God. Touch their hearts, Lord, to, to desire you and the grace that comes through you. Lord, we're so blessed to know you. We're so blessed to be your children. And all of that's possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.